Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. That was pretty weak. Are we having an unhappy Thanksgiving? Is that the goal? No. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's, it's good to see you guys this morning. So uh, thanks for indulging me and annoying you in those ways. So probably most of you have been uh, following the California wildfire stories. It's pretty hard to turn on the television and not and not observe uh, everything from tragedy to just ongoing uh, fires and uh, it's just devastating the things that are going on all over the state right now. But in the midst of the destruction, if you've been following it, you know there have been some amazing stories of rescue. And I ran across one uh, this last Friday evening, late Friday evening. It was posted on the Fox 4 TV website. If you haven't seen it, want to look at it later, I just re refer you to it. But I want to share it with you real quickly this morning because it's, it's a pretty amazing story, really. A little over a week ago, just moments after a baby named Hallie was born at the Feather River Hospital near Paradise, California, fire began to surround the hospital building. I mean, just engulfing it. And Hallie's mother, Heather Robeck, picture over here, <clears throat> said they uh, came over the loudspeaker in the hospital and uh, they, they said, evacuate the hospital. All patients need to be moved now. One of the nurses uh, said, I went to my patient's rooms I started saying to them, just grab your baby. We've got to go. Grab your baby. There's no time. So you just imagine that moment as these nurses, you know, with these babies and so forth. And in the scramble to evacuate, Hallie, uh, Hallie's mother was separated from her child and put into an ambulance, and they were all driving away as fast as they could. Uh, Hallie's mother's ambulance uh, made it about half a mile before it literally began to melt. The vehicle began to melt in the flames as they were driving. This is the, the situation. Her C-section uh, left the lower half of her body numb, and she couldn't move. So while driving in a van like this, as it's melting as she drives, she's making her last phone call as this is all going on. Her nurse, Tamara Ferguson, is in another ambulance right behind her that ended up looking like this, making the same last phone call to her family. And uh, the nurse says, my family kept telling me, no, no, you're going to be fine. I kept trying to convince them, no, you don't understand. I'm not going to be fine. There's no way I'm going to survive this. There's fire blowing at me. And you can see she wasn't exaggerating. Well, as fire was consuming homes all around them, as it was literally melting the vehicles they were in, they pulled to a stop, and a stranger helped uh, Hallie's mom out of her ambulance and then wheeled her up the driveway to a house, of all things. Nurse Ferguson and others in the ambulance behind, they all, all these people, patients and workers and so forth, they followed quickly as they approached the house. The Paradise City Fire Chief, David Hawks, met them, and he and a paramedic quickly broke into the house through a dog door. Then they unlocked the garage, moved patients into the home, sheltered them in the place. And what happened next was nothing short of a miracle. In that moment, emergency medical technicians and nurses immediately shifted gears. They became stand-in firefighters, some getting on the roof of the home to clear gutters of brush, others hosing down the outer edge of the property, uh, the shrubs, the house, everything around them. The fire chief who'd met them said uh, to them, he said, you do this, you do this, you do this. There was no debate or discussion like in Congress. Uh, they did what they were told to do. 
All of us shifted our minds, the, the nurse said, uh, shifted our minds to what do we need to do for survival mode here? And they just followed directions, the fire chief said. They did exactly what I asked them to do. And the miraculous result was, in the midst of a neighborhood devastated and consumed by fire, that home, and if you'll notice, all the fall landscape around it, complete with drying leaves on the trees, along with all the patients and the medical staff inside, all of it was saved. All of it. Is that not an amazing true story? Yeah, yeah, it's appropriate. It's an amazing true story of heroism and rescue. And I'm sure you join me in just praying that there'll be lots more like that uh, throughout the state of California and throughout our world. Now, it may surprise you, but ever since the Garden of Eden, God has considered our world, spiritually speaking, to very literally be on fire. This is how he's viewed it in Scripture, if you, if you read carefully. He views our world, spiritually speaking, to be on fire. It's quite literal. It has similar effects. The fires of evil are out of control. They're devastating everything in their midst. Uh, they're, they're literally consuming the very houses of safety and protection around us constantly. People, God's most prized possession, made in his image, are at risk of being consumed in these fires, in these flames. And so scripture has made it you know, impeccably clear that God is asking his followers to engage in a holy and heroic task. He's not asking us to debate with him, to, to ask questions, to try to understand everything about everything in this moment. He's just looking at us and saying, I need you to do this and you to do this and you to do this. And in his spirit, he's He's hoping and longing that his people will hear his voice and conclude that this is not a time for debate. This is a time to do as told. Literally survival on a personal level. Survival of others demands it. See, Scripture tells us that God wants us to communicate the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel means the good news of Jesus. He wants us to communicate that to all people who are part of our lives and our sphere of relationships. God wants us to help the people who are near us, near me, near you. Wants us to help the people in our sphere to escape the corruption, the coming destruction of our world so they can live with hope, die with confidence, and know that everlasting life is their destiny, their inheritance, because Jesus died to purchase it. This is what he's longing for us to communicate clearly. And every one of us has been called by God to communicate this message, this gospel. Every one of us has been called to live with a plus one mindset, as I referred to it last week. God's dreaming and hoping, longing in his heart for you and me to hear and to do this. I want you to listen to how Jesus instructed his first disciples to address this issue. And in uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, Jesus said to them, Look, listen to what he says, go into all the world and what? 
Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Let me pause right there. Some of us hear a passage like this and we say, oh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Since I'm not a preacher, it just doesn't apply to me. Now, th- that wasn't what he was saying, that you're like, you should, everybody should go into the, the world and, you know, pastor a church and preach, you know, this or preach on TV or something. That's not what, it, that's not what the word means. The idea, it, it's proclaim, it's declare, it's to communicate. Is what, is what the, go into all the world and communicate, appeal to people. Let them know about the gospel. Go to all of creation everywhere, which sort of leaves out nothing, Right? Matthew 28, another instance, he's, he says to his disciples, he adds these thoughts. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're going to make disciples of somebody who's not a believer, guess what? You've got to make a believer out of an unbeliever. And then we've got to, and we've got to go to all the nations. What's interesting is the word is, is, is ethnos, and it, it's all of the people groups. It's like every people group on the planet. He's saying go into all the world, all the nations, baptizing them, make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to do everything that I've commanded them. Everything. That's a phrase that's always haunted me when I read that particular passage. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, just to convey this. And we're not alone in this. He is. You know, as as somebody that they still haven't figured out who it was, opened the door so Hallie's mom could get out. It was a total stranger wheeling her up to the door. Uh, God is present in our lives. He is constantly in that fashion, facilitating the communication of the good news of Jesus globally to every people group, to every person in your sphere of influence. If you and I will humble ourselves and hear his instruction and engage. You know, in these two passages and others like it, Jesus instructs his followers then and his followers now to communicate the gospel to all nations and all people Every one of us needs to do our part. This is not just for the person who's on the intercom in the hospital announcing that they need to evacuate. It's not just that person, me. It's all of us. Every one of us needs to do our part. So for the next couple of minutes, what I want to do is I want to help all of us remember the big idea of the gospel is what I want to do because... What happens to many of us is we hear this and we go, yeah, this is something I need to do. But then we could walk out the door and it gets all fuzzy in our head really quickly. And so what I want to try to do is give you a a means to remember this this morning. This is part of what I want to do. And my hope is if, if this is new to you, I hope you listen carefully for you. If this is familiar to you, I hope you listen for you. And some of the people you'll be sitting at Thanksgiving dinner with this week. Because some of these things can become conversation subjects. I'm not saying take over the Thanksgiving meal with this. You know, don't get your own props and do what I'm about to do necessarily. Might not go well with grandma, you know, or somebody. So I understand. Uh, But uh, you can plant some seeds 
you can plant some seeds. God will honor and bless that. So the next few minutes, let me give you this overview of the gospel. And it begins really with, with good news, really, is where it begins. And what does this represent right here? If you remember your Bibles, you know that it all began in a garden, right? It began in a garden and there were plants and trees and you know, flowers and bees and every, it was a spectacular place. It was perfect. If you remember the way God created everything, there was absolutely nothing wrong in the garden. Adam and Eve were put there in the garden. It was a pristine environment, nothing wrong, communication, harmony. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed and unafraid before the television program. I mean, this was, this was a spectacular place, the garden. We have longed in our spirits, mankind, ever since for paradise lost, okay? The real paradise lost. The garden was a place where every day Adam and Eve walked with God. Cool of the day, they'd take a stroll through the garden, enjoying the flowers and watching the birds and the animals and watch the sunset. It was a spectacular place. You say, how could they be doing, some of you are stuck that I mentioned that they were naked. They were naked. How could they? How could they? How could they not be? How could they be unashamed in that? Because some of us like are freaked out about that, even with our spouses. You know, how, how does that happen? Do you realize? That, you remember in the New Testament, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's transfigured before everybody. They call it the Mount of Transfiguration for that reason, because the glory of God descended on him and he he shone with such a bright light they couldn't even look at him. Do you remember that? The glory of God filled his body in the way that your body was designed to be filled with the glory of God. What happened to him is what's, what is your destiny someday? I mean, to be glorified in that fashion. You don't need clothes. You don't need clothes. What happened, what happened here was that that was the pristine environment and even Adam listened to God's instruction you can eat from any tree of the garden. And this was not just like three trees in the garden. This was like, this was like the amazing garden and amazing trees and the fruit of the trees. Beautiful and luscious to see and eat. But God said, of this one tree, don't eat. Genesis 2 tells us about it. He says, don't, don't eat it. He doesn't say don't touch it, which the serpent said. He said, don't eat of this tree. Because of the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, you remember what happened, right? It looked beautiful. It tasted sweet in the mouth. Got to get it just like the cell phone logo. <laughs> Think about that. The apple with a bite out of it. Nothing was ever or has ever been the same since. Radically changed everything. The spiritual fires began. It wasn't long after this, if you remember, that death was introduced into the world. Adam and Eve were, they went from harmony and pristine beauty to bickering and blaming and you know God it was it was the woman you gave me it was her fault 
You know, she's saying the serpent made me do it. It, it, And it has been excuses and blaming ever since about why there are fires and what we should do about them. And it doesn't even take but a few verses in the Bible and you get to the first the first sin after Adam and Eve. Do you remember what it was? You would think that like if sin followed like an evolutionary digression, you know, you think of evolution as sort of this slow process of improvement is how it's represented. There's nothing nothing dramatic to it is the way it's represented. If you thought of sin in a similar fashion, it just sort of began to began to slightly degrade humanity, you would be wrong. I mean, from a human standpoint, that's how we would create it. But what really happened was, a few verses after sin, what happens? Cain kills his brother, Abel. Doesn't kill a stranger who's taken advantage of them. He kills his brother. Is that not fascinating that from the first sin to the first violence is this fast? It's a byproduct of sin. I mean, the fires <laughs> incinerated instantly. And if you follow the New Testament or the Old Testament and then right on in the New Testament, they just don't stop. It's like they pop up over here and somebody puts them out and then pop up over here. And as they're, as they're putting them out over here, they're popping up over here. And there is just constant, constant flames and fire and destruction. And I want you to think about this. It looked so appetizing. But it led to the destruction of their marriage, their family, everything they cherished. Let me just say, some things never change. Every time you take a bite of the apple, you may think, oh, this is sweet. This is going to help me. This is going to be better. It's not going to affect me. It's not going to affect my wife or my husband or my children or my job or my whatever. Let me just tell you, it was a lie from the beginning. It's still a lie. Sin kills It kills. You will have lots to be thankful for as you eradicate sin from your life and your choices. Part of where that led to, though, was I got a picture here to show you. Is this separation. I mean, I took this picture last year on vacation. Not this past summer, but a year ago this past year. Uh, Grand Canyon, some of you have been there before. It's spectacular. It's a beautiful place and, and uh, actually camped really, really close to right there, which that was, that was wonderful. One of the beautiful moments in our messed up world. Uh, by the way, they have fires in that area a lot of times too. But if you look, if you look across here, guess what that is? If you're on this side where I was standing, which is the north rim of the Grand Canyon, and you want to get to the south rim, which is on the far, 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 26 miles away, side of that canyon over there, um, that is no small feat. Lots of people die in the process trying to do that. I know some of you have actually done that trek because uh, I've talked to some of you. It is a grueling, arduous, water barren kind of place. 
the difference between this and the chasm that separates you and me and God because of this right here is that the Grand Canyon can be crossed. The chasm between you and me and a holy and righteous God from our side of the canyon is uncrossable. I mean, it's an abyss between us. This is the bad news. When you think in terms of the gospel, this is the reason for the gospel. If there was no perfect garden, if there was no sin that followed it, if it wasn't that I have ingested this sin and you too, there would be no point for what follows. But what follows and what this requires is that somebody from heaven's side do something about it. And this, my friends, is in fact the gospel. Here's the good news. God chose to do something about our separation from him. He, he chose not to just look at that and say, pardon the crassness. He didn't just look at us and say, sucks to be you. Which is the mindset of much of our culture. He looked at our condition and had mercy. And this is what followed. This is the reason why there was a nativity. Why Christmas came. We're going to talk a lot more about that in a, starting in a couple of weeks. But I have it up here because I want you to understand and just get, it, get, get the full picture in your mind. This is a, this is a demonstration that the manger is, is evidence that there's a God in heaven who longs to be in relationship with you and me more than he longs to sit in his glory high and lifted up on a royal throne. That is his rightful place. But scripture tells us he laid all of that aside. He did not consider equality and the greatness of God as something to cling to, but he laid aside his glory and his greatness, took upon himself human flesh, and ultimately became one of us And even obeyed the Father to the point that he was willing to suffer a criminal's death dying on the cross. You see, what's significant about the cross, friends, is that the cross is an eternal symbol of the fact that God came to reconcile all things to himself. He came to reconcile the cross. He came to reconcile mankind to one another because that had been out of harmony from the garden. This, this, this is not a statement that it will instantaneously be. It's a promise that reconciliation is coming. It's possible for all who put their faith in the one who hung here. It's possible. In the vertical, remember, is his commitment to make one, once again, a relationship between the Father who is holy and righteous and without sin and unholy, unrighteous, broken people like me and like you. And it was done by means of the cross. Say, how does that work? See, the Father when he looked at sin and what we had done and the murder and all of the things that were a byproduct of the choices in the garden, 
he concluded that it was not enough for a good whipping or beating or tongue lashing. He couldn't put all of humanity in time out, okay, and it be sufficient. It wasn't just. It wasn't right when you consider the, the horrific sins of man against man and humanity against God and our devotion to evil in many instances. And so only the shedding of blood was going to make it possible for sins to be forgiven. Scriptures make it really clear. This is why throughout the Old Testament you had countless animal sacrifices and sheep and goats and so forth. They were brought before God. Now, God in his mercy, he did it sort of like as if we were going to go to Jackstack this afternoon. It's kind of how his approach to it was. He would burn and consume the parts that were not edible and you really shouldn't eat anyway because they're not good for you. And the rest of it would be shared between the priests and the people and celebrate the mercy, the grace of a forgiving God. But it was, it was to convey the idea from the very earliest of days that only by the shedding of blood could sins be forgiven. In fact, the very beginning of that was really in Genesis when, when Adam and Eve, you remember what they did to, uh, to deal with their sinfulness? I didn't plan this. Let's do this. Don't, I'm not going to say this. Just imagine I'm in the garden. What am I doing? Well, yeah, I, I'm hiding, right? This is what I'm doing. God looks at that and thinks to himself, that's going to wither. That's going to wither in time, and we're going to be in deep weeds. This is what we're going to be. And so what does God do? He takes and sacrifices the very first animal, and he covers them with skins. Read Genesis. It's all there. Why does he do that? Because only with the shedding of blood can sin be covered and dealt with. What began there with the shedding of blood of probably sheep, a couple of lambs, came to fulfillment here when it was the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. You see, by, by Jesus becoming the Lamb of God and dying on the cross, I mean, he was a sinless person. He was able, he did not deserve this. But as God, who could execute justice and judgment, and against whom we'd ultimately sinned, and as man, one of us, thus the virgin birth, if you're tracking with me, he could die in our place and as God forgive. God the Father poured out his anger on Jesus here. And the consequence of that is God is not angry with you now. Some of us live our lives and we think God is angry at me. God's just waiting to get me. No, he's not. No, he's not. He is waiting to get you, to envelop you, to help rescue you. But he is not chasing or stalking or trying to, trying to corner you or trying to torment you. There is one doing that. It's just not God. And sometimes we get confused about who's who. God poured out his wrath on Jesus so he could pour out his mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness on you, on me. You don't deserve it. 
I don't either. I'm not entitled to this. It's purely a byproduct of his mercy and grace. And God proved the fact that it was him and not just some wonderful idea. He gave proof to what we're talking about and to the forgiveness and the fact that there was forgiveness of sins for us and that there was a future and a destiny and a hope for us three days after he did this. Three days after he crucified, allowed his own son to be crucified. If you remember, some of the women went to the tomb and what did they find? It was empty. Because he'd been given authority according to John 5. You can bring this picture up there if you would. Uh, According to John 5, he had been given the authority to lay down his life and the authority to take up his life. And what we find in the garden, another garden, this was one garden, and he was buried and resurrected in another garden. Do you suppose that's a coincidence? as proof that what he said would come to pass. It was a promise that your inheritance, you can live, you can live with hope, you can die with confidence that this isn't all there is. And that your inheritance, if your faith is in Jesus, your inheritance is everlasting life and a return to the garden one day that you were made for. I was made for it. This, my friends, is the gospel. This is why the uh, uh, Apostle Paul says these words. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel I preached to you before. He says, you welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this gospel that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, he adds, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Let me just add, there's a lot of things that masqueraded in his day as the gospel that wasn't. And it's still going on. You'll hear people say, oh, well, the gospel is this. The gospel is that. The gospel is this. The gospel is that. Paul explains here, he says... I passed, he explains what the gospel is here, verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And he's speaking about at the time that he wrote this. He goes on and says, then he was seen by James, his brother, and later by all the apostles. Later, uh, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, Paul writes, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. He's just saying that this empty tomb is not an imaginary thing that a couple of women went to the tomb and wanted to see so bad that they saw it. He was resurrected. And I want you to hear this. Ever since Jesus' resurrection, the Bible tells us in Romans 10 
that if you openly declare, if you openly confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And a verse later, it adds, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to ask you, have you called on the name of the Lord? Really? You say, well, I've come to church. I grew up in church. I throw something offering plate periodically, and I, I take the Lord's Supper when I'm there. And I believe there's a God. Can I shatter your world? Scriptures tell us, James does, the demons believe in God. But hear this, Scripture says, they shudder at the thought. They tremble in fear at the thought. Some of us claim to believe in God and we don't tremble. I mean, there's no fear, there's no, there's no internal anxiety about the fact that he is holy and righteous and I'm not. Maybe that should be cause for concern on my part sometimes. That I'm viewing him as my buddy and not as my God. So I want to ask you, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you humbled yourself and looked heavenward and cried out, Oh God, you are holy and righteous. You are God. I am not. I know you're merciful because I see what you did to Jesus on the cross and he took my sins upon him. And I thank you for that, but will you fill me? Will you cleanse me? Will you make his blood cover my sins? Have you confessed your belief in him? Have you confessed your belief in his resurrection from the dead? Have you demonstrated that belief by being baptized as the Bible teaches? I mean, Jesus said, you remember the passage we read a few moments? It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them. You remember that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. His point was not that we ought to be baptized three times. His point is that we need to be baptized. Because when you're baptized, you are identifying on an experiential level with his death and his burial and his resurrection. You're declaring with your body a sign to all with flesh in all the invisible realm, I belong to Jesus. I'm fully his. Have you done that? If you'll declare your faith like this, as the scriptures teach, Romans 10, 13 is really, really clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who will be saved? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone who does this. Have you cried out to God like that? With a spirit of humility and gentleness and repentance. I want you to listen to one of the great laments of Scripture, though, that shows up. The very next verse after this, Romans 10, look at, read, read verse 13 with, oh, we'll go back, right back to 13 quickly. 
Back to 13. Back, 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 back. Don't read. Don't read. Don't look. Don't look. <laughs> Verse 13. What's it say? Read it out loud. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But look at the next verse. Verse 14 goes on and says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? Do you hear the lament of God? How will they know unless somebody stops what they're doing long enough to tell somebody else who's still eating from the apple that there's a reason for hope. There's a reason for life. You have a future and a destiny and an inheritance that's more than just the grave. You were made for something more than this. You were, made for the, you were made for paradise, to be in God's presence. You were made to live and walk and radiate the glory of God. You were made for these things and far more than you can comprehend at this stage. If he could tell you, he would, but you couldn't bear to receive it. So now he tells you what you can handle, all of us, which is if we'll humble ourselves and turn to Jesus in faith, and if we'll tell the people in our sphere of influence that Jesus came for them, there's a reason for life that matters. As you watch the fires in California the rest of this week and probably for a few weeks, and because they don't manage their forests very well, next year and the year after and the year after, and I'm not being political, you know, I was just reading about this this past week in journals that don't like Trump, okay? So I'm just reading about it. They just don't manage their forests very well. They quit doing that because of global warming in the early 2000s, and we're reaping the consequences of that. In fact, what we're going to find is that some, somewhere along the line, there, some of this land, the fires are going to get so hot that some of it's going to literally be sterilized, you know, and it's not going to be able to grow anything, and it'll go from being paradise to... You know, something far, far from that. So as this happens, year after year after year in the future, until they change their approach, hope you remember that from God's perspective, the whole world is on fire. And God's not okay with that. His great longing is that you and I will be those people who will believe that we'll hear and that we'll tell the people in our sphere of influence that God cares. He's not the one causing the fires. He's the one making a way of escape from the fires that are seeking to consume all of mankind. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray that God will help you and me to engage in the holy and heroic task of communicating the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Some of us this week. Think about some of the people in your family. 
As we wrap up, just before we pray, just think about some of the people you'll be sitting at Thanksgiving dinner with this week. And uh, some of you just think to yourself, do I have to? Do I have to think about some of those people? <laughs> Others are, of you are thinking, I'm looking forward to that, and that's cool. Praise God. Uh, but even in those instances, a lot of times, there's some of these folks that we have as family members who know about God, but they don't know God. And you know the difference. Maybe the Holy Spirit will open a door this week to dialogue about some aspect of this. Will you engage in the holy and heroic task of contributing to the rescue and the salvation of somebody that you can eat with? Will you do that? God will be honored if you do that. And you'll be blessed. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be... Uh, if you've got a need in your life you'd like to pray about, come on down afterwards, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is so much for us to be thankful about. We thank you for the manger and all that we'll be celebrating in the weeks ahead. We thank you especially for the cross, Lord Jesus, that you gave your one and only physical life you suffered abuse, humiliation, public humiliation, your glory. You left it behind in the heavens when you took upon yourself flesh and you were publicly humiliated before all of mankind on the cross. You did not have to do that, but you chose us. You chose us over your own appearance and image and dignity. You laid aside your virtues so that you could take upon yourself our sin, our brokenness. We didn't deserve that. But we thank you. We thank you that we can cry out to you and this morning we do. We just say, Lord Jesus, cleanse us, make us yours. May your blood cover our sins. We know we don't deserve it. But we thank you that you have loved us so much that you made a way to cross the divide, the separation that existed because of sin in my life. In your holiness, thank you, Lord Jesus, thank you. We acknowledge your resurrection. We acknowledge that you're real. We acknowledge that you're coming again, as your word says. And we look forward to the day when paradise will be restored. Come soon, Lord Jesus. But in the interim, Lord, would you give us courage and humility to do exactly what you're instructing us to do. You're saying do this to some of us and do that to another and you do this to some of us. and Help us to just recognize that we have one and only life and right now it's a time for saying, God, what do you want me to do to address survival and wellness for the people around me, the people in my family, people who I work with, and help us to just humble ourselves and do it. And God will give you credit for every good thing that happens. Because just as Hallie's mother and the baby and so many of those folks were rescued in California miraculously, we know that you'll be performing miraculous rescues all around us if we'll engage.
you care. Help us to do that, Lord. Would you bless our Thanksgiving times? Would you help us to reflect on these thoughts? We rejoice to be your children. We lift this prayer together in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Happy Thanksgiving.